0: title of David's talk is cocaine trafficking from Latin America to Europe, research methods and
1: recent trends over to you. Okay, thank you very much Thomas and the UCL for the invitation uh, it is now exactly 20 years that I started to research cocaine uh, many people after the PhD, let's say leave the, uh, the the research they have done there and then move to other stuff I kind of stay hooked to cocaine um, basically basically uh, um, so basically, what I would like to share today with you is actually two things. First, very quick, something on methods, something on uh, doing research on these issues, um, and then second, I would like to focus on some more general, eh, general, I would say theoretical, but you know, not going in specific on the situation in which in, in one country or the other, to really give an, a, 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 a conceptual overview about some issues related with um, drug production, drug, cons- drug trafficking, and in relation with Europe. So, basically what I did is I studied Colombians, Colombians in Europe. Mm, basically, the, I was interested, and when I started this research, I was interested in what happens with the, co- qu- with the cocaine when the cocaine leaves the countries. So it was not too much on the situation there, but on <coughs> the... Um, well, the likes of people here. So, after that, I stay doing research on the port, on money, uh, and supervising many uh, people doing small research on Nigerians, on this part of the world, of that part of the world, always with cocaine. So, uh, and by the way, I will try to keep it short, like, um, but I still need uh, something like 15, 50 minutes, I would say, but I would really like to have, after that, um, enough time for questions, discussion, um, whatever you want to, to, to know. So basically, we face uh, problems when we try to research cocaine trafficking, international cocaine trafficking, basically. We, academics, are very far away from these issues, uh, sometimes also impeded to to to, to travel, uh, but also... So there is a kind of moral distance there. Uh, Journalists are too much interested in the sensational parts of the stories. Um, We have, of course, law enforcement researchers and law enforcement officials, but they are, again, too busy fighting the problem and gathering that data in order to fight the problem. Um, There is another problem, of course, that this things do not happen in the open, mm-hmm. eh? so many of the things, o- although these people go to, same churches, uh, restaurants, uh, um, and, and places and others, still we are not dealing with something that, is, that manifests openly in the streets. Um, <clears throat> you just mentioned this is dangerous. Well, there is a myth there, of course. I mean, we, we researchers do not face so much danger doing research on this, but still, many people believe that that is the case, and still many people, um, and certainly ethic committees, for example, <laughs> might not, you know, try to push people to research on this issue, particularly if you go to Colombia or Mexico or Bolivia or wherever. The other, of course, problem that we face when we try to understand this, to research on this issue, is the symbiotic relationship between legality and illegality that we have here. So. Um, the The focus is very is very diffused when you study uh, people bringing money to the bank you what are you are researching? Are you researching gangsters bringing the money or are you researching banks getting the money uh, um, so sometimes it 's even difficult to, to what what you have to wear when you when you do this kind of research? Some people also say that this this topic is very difficult to research because it 's changing all the time so Research, in fact, goes behind developments. And, in fact, every attempt to research this is, is, is um, in the end, resulting in a kind of frozen picture. Um, but things change eh, uh, uh, all, all the time. The other thing, of course, is that we, l- we lack, at least in many situations, victims. I mean, criminologists, we, one of the entrants to research crime is through talking with the victims about them. In this situation, the notion of victim is very diffuse sometimes because there are many consensual transactions. So, um, and of course, sometimes the victims are not there anymore <coughs> because they, been, they have been killed or whatever. So many people do not want to talk also about these issues, certainly victims, for example. In general, we have very bad quality data. I would argue often estimations, and I will give some of those, eh, which again are estimations or calculations, and both quantitative and qualitative methods are limited, and I will try to to look at that. So before I, I tell you something about my ethnographic experience in this, let me tell you that we can learn something on cocaine trafficking from, let's say, Six sources, I would call six sources. So those who are doing research here think about combining uh, 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 data from sources. First of all, we have what we can call the official sources. And the official sources um, include um, files, so police and judicial files, which in Europe are preferred to, to do this kind of research. In Latin America, it's much less... Uh, uh, because, of course, we know that these files are protected or are not open, or actually <laughs> incriminate so many people that, that they, they would not open it for researchers. But in the, in the Netherlands, for example, is the most preferred method to learn about what drug tra- traffickers do. You just go to the police and you get big, big uh, files and you study them. I'm not going to go too much in detail on the problems of each of these methods, but let's say that these files are highly selective in terms of what people eh, get into this, into the into the into the system. Let's say I remember my own res- research: if you would go to research only people that have been caught, you would have uh, problems with external validity because these are, I mean, they either either only get careers or a particular kind of distributor, but there are many sorts of actors that are never, or are very, they, they are not caught. So they, are, they do not have contact with the, with the, with the, with the criminal justice system. Um, and of course, if you want to know about why people commit these crimes, or what do they, why do they do what they do, these files are not very good. You, know to, you, you have to go further than that. Of course, we also have the statistics. The statistics, again, are a little magic numbers. Uh, There, estimations about numbers of organizations, for example, estimations on numbers of drugs produced or consumed, or money laundered, for example. I mean, there are very interesting uh, um, papers written about these magic numbers. Um, um, For example, how much money exists, how much money, drug-related money, circulates in the world. This was a number that once was... um, just throw it in a table in the UNODC, in Vienna. I, I talked with the people that were in that meeting. There was one person who just said these 500,000. And then it became an entity, this number. And it became into the report. Of course, the report goes to the media. The media goes back. Everybody goes back from the media. And this is a number that was just mentioned in one meeting uh, uh, by somebody. We have, the, of course, the official reports. Um, many of uh, researchers face on that. Again, these reports have problems related with sources, eh? not, not much uh, uh, told about. So sometimes can be poor validity and reliability, quickly done. I mean, I had to, um, um, I had to review uh, a report for the poli- from the police made by the police in the Netherlands. The the major report on cocaine in the police, they sent it to me to check if it was good. Um, And I started to read, and I started to realize that this was from Wikipedia. (laughs) And I went to check, and in fact, there were major parts that were just cut and pasted from Wikipedia. So I phoned back to the police saying, listen, you sent me this report. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I cannot uh, assess it. Uh, and they were very embarrassed, etc. <coughs> but this is the time, and of course they were embarrassed because they thought, well, we had to finish the report. Uh, I mean, there was this—we gave it to this person. This person is new, whatever. But this is the level of—we eh, are talking about major law enforcement in in Europe. Um, maybe the most interesting is to talk with these people, with the, with the policemen and with the law enforcement officials. So interviews with enforcement officials you get, if you're lucky, the things that are not written in paper. So I got many times, the the best I got from police about these issues is uh, talking in the corridors on the uh, non-official, talking about the non-official story. Okay. I mean, I know uh, you have ever entered into a bookshop and see the amount of Books written by journalists on this topic—I mean, it's, it's it's massive. Only in Mexico or in Colombia, every time there is a, a lot of new, a new book on cocaine trafficking. I don't have to tell you that journalistic sources are also have serious validity problems. Um, usually, they go for the what is new, what is selling, the familiar, the sensational, the exotic, the um, violent, the notorious. They, look, they, they stress that. They don't look at the boring, the mundane, the average person, the common people. These are, are not part of these stories. Um, usually, if you are stories about uh, non-powerful people, it's because either they, we feel compassion about them, or because uh, there's something... But usually, they are about powerful drug entrepreneurs. Sometimes they are good, Uh, sometimes there is good journalism, and sometimes they are good to, for example, open scandals. Usually these books are the ones that kind of open a new scandal in a a country or or, or things like that. So an interesting data source that can also be used uh, is all kinds of documents, observations, interviews, archives from what we can call legitimate actors around the business. And so think about um, lawyers, bars, restaurants, sports, companies, politicians, although politicians do not talk much, um, non-criminal friends, family members, relatives. So there are a lot of studies gathering information, and myself also did that, from the social, li- uh, the social uh, uh, um, life around these people. So you have, for example... Uh, books on remesas, eh? on, 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 peop- on immigrants sending money to Colombia or moving money. Um, well, of course, uh, uh, but, o- but also ports, for example. Ports and, and all the information you get from these legitimate actors are very uh, interesting. Then we have um, researchers that use a lot of written sources, written documents, Written documents in terms of uh, archives, so there are interesting, very good research, historical research in Mexico, for example, by Luis Astorga, or this book I recommend very much, The Cuban Connection, on the history of drug trafficking before the revolution, which is based on archival material. Um, now there's also fantastic work being done in Mexico on narcomantas. Narcomantas are these banners left when eh, when somebody is killed usually the people, the killers leave some kind of message for either politicians for rival uh, cartels etc and there is a fantastic dsd uh, researcher um, also working on an analysis uh, so a content analysis of all the narcomantas put in the last five years in mexico um, to understand the places the messages the kind of killings so very interesting material, based purely on content analysis of, of written material. But also think about pamphlets, letters, comunicados, etc. Then we have anthropologists and cultural criminologists working a lot with popular culture. So art, and think about all the work done, but for example, on narcocorridos. Corridos, eh? Uh, trying to understand the la- the the the, the, pers- the the trafficker behind, but also gangster rap, uh, also uh, favela funk, for example, in Brazil, uh, works. I mean, there are a lot of work being done on music. Um, of course, painting and and, and pictures. Uh, think about also films, uh, kind of Latin American realism. Uh, now, for example, one of the series. Uh, El Patrón del Mal eh? the, the, the life of Pablo Escobar kind of soap opera soap opera um, so now I, I see even uh, PhDs starting to compare Breaking Bad with uh, El Patrón del Mal and things like that um, but also uh, literature so um, a lot of is written, I mean fiction uh, but think about comics advertising, video games like War on, Co- War on Colombia eh? so there's even a video game uh, uh, on, on the war on drugs in Colombia that you can just fight the war uh, and, 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 and kill the FARC and things like that um, I mean these are the things that these are interesting material that is being used a lot by, uh, by certainly by anthropologists and finally people like me but also people like many others um, go to talk with people in, in directly involved in the business either You have a genre of the called arrepentidos, those people that repent and talk, basically. There is a problem, of course, in these stories because usually they talk, they have a kind of deal with the, and so they they say some things and the other, so it's a kind of negotiated, uh, interested uh, uh, informant. You have a very interesting um, genre of biographies and autobiographies. So the big boss or the children of the boss, so the, the son of Pablo Escobar and the son of uh, Orejuela, they both have major bestsellers. They actually tell the story. But again, these books have the problems of the journalistic sources in terms of romanticization, exaggeration of uh, well, a lot of, of these things. Then you have people that talk to, the, in, in, that talk to drug traffickers with open interviews. Jennifer Fleetwood, very nice. She's now in, in Leicester. Um, did a fantastic job interviewing many mulas, many women in, in Ecuadorian prisons. Uh, drug news. I recommend this book for people that are interested in, in gender and, and, and drugs. Uh, women in the International Cocaine Trade. Uh, but also the Mexican, um, uh, Corina Giacometti, and... Um, Etc. So the problem, of course, is people, once they are in prison, they don't want to talk. So it's better to talk with these people when, before, or, or when they are not in prison. Um, but here in, the, in, in England, um, there are Dick Hobbes and many others that have done regularly interviews with uh, uh, trafficked in prison. And then you have a very um, growing, I would say, group of people that engage in so-called ethnographic research, uh, natural settings uh, on different aspects and different groups related with the, with the cocaine industry. Um, well, basically, the, if, you, if you are able, or if you are at least lucky to, to succeed in establishing contact and doing this kind of research... Uh, ethnographic research is invariable to understand uh, what people really not only think but do, so the gap between saying and, and and doing in the uh, in the cocaine business so about the culture, the motives the backgrounds, the perceptions, internal and external relations they have uh, functions relations with street crime with the state with the economy. Um, also very nice the ethnographic research is that you can see the invisible and the common <coughs> and the mundane and the boring of the business so it's not only about excitement uh, and about uh, kicks it seems that the ethnographic research on this topic is more successful in some areas than in others for example I see much more research uh, ethnographic research done with uh, peasants. And so, for example, uh, Thomas, you have done a long time ago this re- research with, in peasant communities seems to be more open. Um, peasants, migrants, young people, eh, like Vidas Arriesgadas, Brazilian uh, ethnographer, fantastic work on young drug traffickers in, 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 in Brazilian uh, cities, <coughs> ethnographic. So m- migrants, um, uh, young people, um, the underworld... More, we see much more ethnographies on that than on powerful actors, ethnographies on powerful actors, on legal connections, in prison, uh, armed actors, mafia-type organizations, etc. So, and we have, a, we don't have any ethnographies on any, every, every part of the business. So, please, by the way, interrupt me if you, if you want. I mean... Uh, yeah, otherwise, I just go monologuing all the time. Yes?
0: I just have to say that I'm, I'm going to have to leave rather early No problem at all. I just wanted to say that your first slide, um, I realized we we're going to hear something really special today because uh, the way you hit on the, um, the, the weaknesses
1: in the approaches of basically each group that spot on. I've seen a really prominent and very serious British journalist who was a household man 30 years ago who could just snap his fingers and get published trying desperately to get something which was on the deep and complex side of it. And he ended up trying to flog it as fiction uh, because he couldn't get it done. And he couldn't even get it as fiction. And, and I despair because this went really to the very deep stuff, so more power to your elbow. And yeah, I mean, we have to be critical about all methods, of course, eh? but, but I just wanted to just give an overview about the possibilities that we have. And we have to, again, certainly official methods, we have to, uh, to uh, official sources to, to, to put. That was actually one of my aims when I started this research, to, uh, I mean, we everything we knew was coming, 90% of what we know come from per, uh, criminal justice systems, so police and, and judicial, uh, um, not only data, but also categories. Eh? Remember, the word cartel was first time used by the DEA in 82, and that was the first time that, the first time, and now we give for granted this word cartel, but there was there's, there's a genesis of this word, and this word was, Actually introduced by the law enforcement eh, to the to to, to, to denominate this a, a kind of powerful enemy a kind of eh, a conspiracy etc. So I started to say, well, actually, is it like that? I mean, when you talk with these people, can we talk about, for example, cartels? So let me first, before I tell you about the cartels, um, very quick tell about my own experience as ethnographer doing re- this kind of research so tell you a little bit of how because again, one of the reasons I think they push me to stay in this, in this topic is because you don't have m- a lot of ethnographies done at medium and high level uh, uh, cocaine trafficking you have a lot on, on retail, for example eh, bourgeois, I mean there are many people that do street dealers but this is not I mean there are, again there are some and I followed these ad, uh, examples, like Adlers in America. And, but still, one of the things I, um, I think is that is quite useful. So what I did is a so-called parti- peri- what you can call peripheral participant observation um, with Colombians directly and directly not involved in the cocaine business. Um, and when I talk peripheral, meaning I was not involved in drug trafficking myself so you you're not involved in the in the in the in the in the central activity you are studying, so you kind of interact with them in mom- moments that they are not committing crimes which are a lot because these people have maybe four or five operations a year, and the rest of the time they're just waiting for the animals to arrive um uh, watching TV, going to the parties, uh, just having the normal life that we have. So, that was the moments that I shared with them. From interactions from five minutes in a salsa place to living together for months in my house. So, a, very, a, a, a huge range of, of <coughs> interactions. By the way, at that time I didn't have a family. <laughs> and I didn't have uh, academic commitments. Uh, so I recommend you guys, if you're going to do this, uh, better to do it when you don't have either uh, one or the other. Because it's, um, it, 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 gives, it takes dif- more difficult and difficult as it goes. My focus mainly was in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and The gate which is, eh, and, and later on I expanded to Spain and to Colombia more, and again, in the beginning I was interested more in what happens in Europe. And with the years, I came back and back and back. Basically, inter- we are talking about interactions in salsa bars, churches, so going every Sunday to church, every Saturday to the salsa places. So I became a salsa uh, a dancer, very important, particularly for the men, to dance good, because that was I saw immediately that was uh, very, very important. Uh, <laughs> prostitution areas. Migrant organizations, so volunteering and working in migrant organizations, organizing things for, the, for Colombians, um, telephone sales, coffee shops, concerts, private parties, and prisons. And later, I started to focus more on the port of Rotterdam. And after some years, I mean, after I finished that, I did again a new, more focus on the port of Rotterdam, so hanging out in the port, let's say. I participate in three Latin organizations in Rotterdam and Amsterdam, a social worker, I'm not a social worker, but you just do social work, uh, cultural animator, so I, I come back to that, the roles I, 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 I use, and I organize a group of prison visiting, so basically for Spanish-speaking uh, uh, migrants. By the way, I didn't tell you, I'm Argentinian myself, uh, I come from Argentina, but I live 25 years in the Netherlands, so a kind of, and that's why actually I'm interested in this, because my heart is in Latin America, eh, on, on, on on research on that on this. Um, prison visitors. So basically, we went every week to visit prisoners. Colombia's mainly that are that are that the first person they call is not the embassy, is not the Dutch authorities, is the priest, the the Catholic priest. So the Catholic Church was for me a very important. Um, well, gatekeeper, let's say, to the to the community and to the drug traffickers because they go to church every Sunday and they are there. You can, you can hear them talking about kilos in the back, people complaining that they are openly talking about kilos. So for me, it was a, a kind of strange to see in the beginning this is not a kind of underground mafia. You know, we have this notion, this idea that this is going to be kind of these people are openly, everybody knows them. They are kind of always the same places. Um, so it was, for me, very strange that very soon I realised this is possible to access.
0: As you say, most um, people aren't familiar with um, the Colombian culture as far as church, the church is concerned, but if you ever want to get behind the scenes of crime and somewhere like Colombia, you don't go to the church, you go behind the church. Because what they do is they will... Um, go and do all of their drug dealing or their assisting prostitution around the back of the church, and then they will wash their sins directly afterwards. And there's also a weird sort of bit of Colombian logic, which is the sicarios, the assassins. They would go to La de los yeah, they, would, they would pray to, to, to the Virgin Mary or what have you, and the idea was, uh, they would say, I'm putting this assassination in your hands, I'm going to go out, and if I shoot my gun, if they're not destined to die, if the bullet will miss. Yeah. So le- le- let's...
1: Yeah, okay, it's, That that that's a very nice story. In the Netherlands, it's quite low profile. Guys, they are not. (laughs) Colombians are not killing people in the Netherlands. They are killing them in Colombia. They said we are going to kill him, but not here. We are going to kill him in Colombia. Uh, So it's low profile. Everything is very amicable. They drink coffee. So there. But basically, let me. So then I started to go to Colombia, of course, to also visit the relatives of these people I met in the Netherlands. Um, They are with lower profile. So, with lower profile, not meaning that I was not open, but um, only trying to, to, to see the social world, um, not with the intention of, for example, interviewing exporters. Um, in the Netherlands, I had uh, a lot of contact with people importing big amounts of cocaine, so, so hundreds yeah. of kilos. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: and do you present yourself? Like, yes, you
1: always side? open. I come back to that okay. because okay. this is very important, the... the, the, the I... It's not like a spy. no 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 no, no. <laughs> no no you don't have to no. <laughs> um, I did interview with all the experts and also the available material trials were also very important moments for me to get data huh? because you get that you, in, the, in trials, in big trials you uh, meet the family people, the family members of the defendants but also the lawyers so in many situations being there allowed me to get in touch with, uh, with, with, with Colombians. I didn't use police files. I didn't reconstruct life stories. So it was not, it's not based on reconstructing the life story of this and that. It's just a kind of cross-sectional story on how the business looks like now. And they forced me to quantify personally. Well, I don't know, but this is the people I, certainly in the first, let's say, 10 years I... I, I, I talked with, so like uh, 43 Colombian cocaine entrepreneurs and employees. So, impl- importers, distributors, retail sellers, and smugglers. And I was interested in their, in their, uh, in their involvement in these four levels. One of the things I did, of course, and this is something that you will know, is that um, you can enter, but you can never go up or down. So you, you're not going to ask people. To get in touch with people that is below or above you, so a, a lot of snowballing takes place uh, horizontally. So you need a lot of entrances. You cannot just enter from one side and then get into the eh, into the into the world of these people. Two criteria for sampling: get as much as I can, and of course, when you hear a story again and again and again and again, leave. I happened, for example, I I constructed a typology of four different careers, um, kind of careers, and then once I I got a lot on one, but I didn't have enough on the other, so I just kept trying to find this kind of career. Now coming back to your points, um, when I started, I started to say, listen, I'm not going to tell anything about cocaine, it's too, it's too, too sensitive, I'm going to say that I'm doing a research on Colombian migrants in the Netherlands. So I started with that strategy, and then uh, after five minutes, people say, "Ah, you're interested in cocaine." Then, (laughs) I mean, and then I started to see that they really like to talk about cocaine. Cocaine is not, was not at that time, but also not even now, uh, an issue which is very taboo, which is very problematic. More problematic was to talk about, for example, violence, or about other issues, but. Even people that did not have anything to do with it, they started to talk, yeah, I know this and I know that. And I know that. So I said, okay, it's clearly that I don't have to lie. I have to just tell the truth. And honestly, I believe with all the years, and I also supervising other people, telling the truth is very important for ethical reasons not only, but also for security reasons and for also practical reasons. Because you cannot do this long-term telling lies and constructing identities that you don't have. You have to tell the truth. Maybe not right away, maybe not eh, advertising, I'm doing research, <coughs> but, for example, started to look, to, to visit this detainment, this, uh, the, uh, the and then telling the second or the third time, listen, next to being a, 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 a social worker, I am writing a book on <coughs> people like you. I'm doing my, my PhD. Um, and they actually talked. I have very low non-response. And I will show you, there are many reasons for people to talk about these topics. I have roles as volunteer, social worker, culture animator, newsletter editor. I organize bingos for them. I organize parties for them. I did prison uh, visiting. I was translator, friend. I, I, I lend my books. I have a full collection of these autobiographies and biographies of narcotraffickers that they avidly read (laughs) in order... So you have a circle there, eh? So these people go into these books, and then the books go back to the life of these people. So I was like a kind of library for many of them. So, okay, when you finish the book, I give you another one. Sometimes they are millionaires, and sometimes they are broken. This is also a thing. They talk about magic money. Um, It can be that some people came to... If I could lend some money... um, But we are not talking about the big guys. We are talking about small ones. I was guest. I was dance partner. I was advisor. I distributed food. um, Working with... uh, There are some kitchens working in the Netherlands for the prostitutes, for Colombian prostitutes. uh, they, They are cooking Colombian food. So we go like... To two rounds a day, so I was kind of the, the guy carrying the food, so there you could enter and talk with all these prostitutes, Colombian prostitutes, for, for many years. I was a postman, and, and for two people, I remember I was a psychologist. I'm, I'm not, I don't have any psychology training, but they kept telling me that I was their the psychologist. And of course you have to say, yeah, of course, tell me. <laughs> talk to me uh, no illegal activities but some many great moments and I will spare you the details because otherwise we'll, we'll go for hours yeah, but let's say that sometimes you have to put the limits uh, very strong and you have to know exactly when you have to retreat uh, because these people might try to push you I, I mean in my case they were for example they were very much connected also with stealing Very good clothes in big warehouses. So all the time offered me, Damian. What do you want? You 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 look shit. You have to. (laughs) You you. We have an Armani for you. We have this. We have that. You know. And all the time trying to kind of say no. No. Listen. My business is my research, and I'm a researcher. So all the time when you do this kind of research, you have to show. You have to show and where to, until when you can go, until, until... I also talk always about business. My business is my book. Your business is cocaine, my business is my book. Access is less problematic than often source, certainly for this kind of people. Again, drug traffickers like to talk a lot. They are social people, usually, they are kind of... Actually, that's why they, they go down. Usually they go down because they talk a lot on the phone, and they are gods, basically. Let's agree that I also have what anthropologists uh, uh, tell the quasi-native, the quasi-native uh, situation. So I'm not one of them. So I can fake ignorance. I can say, tell me, I don't know. And I'm not the enemy. I'm not Dutch. I'm not, I, I can talk about the other with them. And you can actually be in the margin playing sometimes the insider and the outsider. So the quasi-native, eh, speaking, of course, the language. I couldn't have done this for uh, in, 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 with a group not speaking Spanish. Um, I mean not, so the language was very important. Very important was also to come to... to, to there are two persons that had to fight that I was not. I was not a policeman, and I was not a journalist. So I'm not interested in names. I'm not going to publish anything... Facts, I'm also not interested in facts. I'm interested in the big picture, in the background stories, in your philosophy, in your motivations. Of course, the facts come later on a little bit, but th- it's a totally different approach than the journalist that really wants to know where is the cocaine, where, when it's coming, <coughs> how much. So this is, uh, uh, and of course, luckily I'm a sociologist, so the word criminologist is very loaded with this group. <coughs> Very open and very honest about myself, about my ideas, about, on the, for example, the war on drugs, about my uh, office. I took people to my university office to show them that I work there. Um, and also one important thing with, when you work with uh, illegal entrepreneurs is they want to know where you make your money, where, how you live. I mean, who pays you to live? So one of the important things is to show you know, how do you earn your money? So, so, and who pays your research, of course. Very much use of gatekeepers and social sponsors. This guy, uh, the, the, the father, the, 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 the Catholic father in Amsterdam, was essential. Once I got his support, he actually went to these guys and tell, listen, Damian... It's good. You, have to, you can talk with him. And I didn't have even to introduce myself to these people. They told me if Father Theo says that you're good, you're good. So he, it was very important for me, yeah. and this is one example of one social sponsor, to really find these people. So you don't have to really try to find drug traffickers. You have to really try to find people that are trusted to make you in touch with them. Yes? Very good question. Yes. Uh, Where was this priest uh, from? Uh, Dutch. He's a Dutch guy that spent, it's like uh, 75, now he's 90. Uh, He spent like 40 years uh, uh, in Puerto Rico. So it's perfect Spanish. He is the moral leader still of the Latino community in in Amsterdam. I mean, everybody knows him, and when he says something, and he's also a very progressive kind of theology of liberation uh, guy
0: you candidate the and back in the 80s. Sorry? you can't
1: candidate the ELN and back in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I said uh, some, many of these things already, um, but basically one of the things important was to kind of mm, be... to either, either fake or not get in touch with dangerous information, information that would put, put me in danger to me and to the others. Of course, it's easy to say but difficult to do, but... Again, I even tell people, well, if you're going to tell me something that is going to be bad for you and for me, don't tell me. I don't want to know things that can be dangerous for you or for me. Which is is, again, in the end, in the beginning, it works, but then later on, it doesn't. Um, This is important. Many people have a lot of reasons to talk. I found out. I I started to make a kind of of uh, of list of reasons why people want to talk, is talking to me. And then I found that people talk to me because they have conflicts or problems with others, so they want to talk about the problems or the conflicts they have with others. Many people want to talk to you because they feel uh, victims. For example, that they have been caught or that they have been threatened um, but the others do not, so it is and, and so they have this feeling of of injustice. Many people have these feelings of injustice, that the police and the criminal justice system they are hypocrites, uh, that they are getting, they are also corrupt, and we have to. And so this this notion of underdog or injustice make people to talk to you um, a, a lot. Many people wanted to talk to me because they needed help in some way or the other some kind of symbolic help sometimes. There was also some people really trying to impress me, so a lot of impression management, a lot of... Uh, uh, actually, one of the problems in this research is that people exaggerate. They, if they do grams, they tell you that they do kilos. And if they kind of have something, they will tell you that they kill two or three guys in Colombia. So a lot of... Um, well, a lot of validity problems of what the things they do, they say. A lot of uh, ideological affinity sometimes, and sometimes I had these people really trying to help a Latino guy that is going to do a doctor. Doctor is quite... So some, some call me doctor already. I was not yet, but they already <coughs> call me doctor, and they really like the fact that this is an Argentinian guy doing this, being called, It's going to be a doctor. Very important also, of course, you know, and a lot of observation in order to avoid being, being tricked with lies, with gossips, with exaggeration. Okay, let me finish with these ethical issues which are important. Um, finish this first part on, the, on, 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 on methods. Uh, I mean, I, follow, I try to follow all the ethical issues yeah, that, that, that we know. Uh, very important for me was the issue of the role conflict between me as researcher, me as participant, and me as a person. Sometimes I really had trouble with that. Um, I really tried to put ethical limits. For example, for me, the ethical limit was violence, not drug, drug trade. So drugs is fine, if you want to, to, to I'm never going to tell anyone that, but uh, uh, violence, physical violence, was for me a situation in which, okay, if that happens, I have to do something about it. Luckily, there was one case, but... Uh, not more than that. and a field which I never did, so I didn't have that problem. Okay. There will be, m- maybe later on, more uh, <coughs> space for discussion on, 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 um, on doing ethnography on this kind of problem. And I would like now to tell you quickly the highlights of the situation now in, in, term, in, in relation with cocaine trafficking particularly cocaine trafficking, to Europe, which is the the thing that I'm analyzing more. First, let me tell you that we are beyond this notion that uh, cocaine is something that was produced in the South and consumed in the North. So that was before the the thing. We have uh, experienced a sharp decline in American consumption. So cocaine has declined 50% in the last Fifteen years. In the States, in Europe, we have a modest increase. A modest increase, which means that there is a lot of increase in Eastern Europe, and actually places like Western uh, uh, Holland, uh, Spain, the UK do, did not have uh, uh, actually decline eh, in, in in use. But if you put Europe in in total, in general, you have an increase there. You have an explosive increase of cocaine consumption in South America and in Africa. So, for example, places like Brazil and Argentina came to plight. so five times their cocaine consumption in the last uh, uh, 15 years. But Surely you should
0: say that the consumption level was extremely low, so that really isn't very meaningful.
1: Yes, but Brazil has a lot of people. I mean, when you see the prevalence uh, at this moment, Brazil is uh, surpassed. Uh, Brazil surpassed uh, Spain. I mean, uh, still it's uh, uh, now. By the way, I have now a, a PhD. Um, a Nigerian guy. He's doing his research on Nigerians in Brazil and Nigerians in China. And it's fantastic what is going on in China because China still, again, is very low. I agree with you. On, on Asia, still cocaine is not, but there's a middle class growing there. If you go to places like Malaysia, like uh, china some 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 cities is growing there so even if it 's a very low prevalence, we are talking about a lot of people that my 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 uh, so I have one question there and one there. So it also gets a bit more complicated than this,
0: doesn't it? Because although the consumption by Brazilian nationals may be limited, you've also got a huge growth in drug tourism. If you get somewhere like, Caldecaima, huge numbers of American, European travellers going down there, get, getting their drugs in the prostitutes, where well, they can do it much more easily.
1: It's five grand, it's fine. It's, 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 it's cheap. Is
0: price? <laughs> it's a pricey.
1: It's cheap. It's very cheap. But also, of course, there is an issue of availability. Yeah. So the new routes, and I will show you that, eh? the new routes... I mean, Argentina, Brazil. <coughs> Brazil is, by the way, the first exporter of cocaine in the world at this moment. So most of the cocaine leaving South America live from Brazil. Three countries, uh, three countries sending through Brazil. But anyway, um, yes, in and, 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 and Africa, Africa receiving. I mean, when you see Nigeria, etc. But still, of course, not com- nothing compared with Europe or, or, or the UK or Spain. Sorry, you had a question. Yeah,
0: I'm just very curious about the decline in America in the last 15
1: years. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah, crystal meth. There are, of course, alternatives, but also a campaign. I mean, uh, cocaine is not anymore cool. The issue with drugs, by the way, oh, it's a totally different topic now. Started. But the issue with drug consumption has to do with cultural changes in patterns of what is cool and what is not. And, and, and well, cocaine was... Cooking usually is traditionally connected with expansion economies, with uh, with booming economies, um, l- places that are growing economically, eh, like Spain in the 80s, um, but, but well, probably is uh, Brazil, Argentina, they had their booms there. So expansion of middle classes, expi- economic uh, prosperity, usually is we see a, a relation with 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 uh, high consumption. Of nothing, to do, nothing to do with the war. No. No, no, there is no correlation between drug use and drug policies. I mean, very, 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 very uh, weak, let's say. But certainly not uh, related with the, the, that, there is, that they, they managed to get, you know, kind of uh, availability low. No. No, it's just a change in the patterns of the young people in America that either move to other drugs. Or is, do not see cocaine anymore. By the way, the, the crack epidemic in the '80s was also very important to have a very bad name for cocaine. I mean, cocaine was before the crack epidemic considered a kind of drug for nice for nice people. But then you had this the democratization of cocaine, and that was. Uh... But anyway. this is the topic which I'm not totally an expert on that on on the reasons why in America so anyway if you see it in general still there is kind of increased trends in general so uh, still there is uh, a pattern uh, an increased production and increased consumption in the world cocaine is in fact very interesting Drug, because it's only produced in three countries. There's no other illegal drug that has so concentrated in three countries. Not even heroin. I mean, cannabis is, is all over the world. Since 2009, Peru surpassed Colombia. Colombia used to be the big one. So th- since 2009, we have co- uh, Peru being the first producer of coca leaves and cocaine in the world. Colombia first, second. Bolivia third. Again, there are some laboratories in Brazil, in Venezuela, in Ecuador, but very, very small. You cannot really even think that this is big in the in the numbers. Still, the production of cocaine, even eh, when when Mexico became strong, comes from these three countries. So Mexico is receiving cocaine that they are not producing. Usually, the UNODC reported a kind of lantern. Like one uh, thousand tons per year production, thousand tons per year production in the world. But then they started to see at certain point that in fact it was going something wrong, which is that the the, the number of hectares of coca cultivated were declining. So they were actually de- decreasing the number of cocaine co- coca, but the numbers didn't 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 close with the cocaine because we know how much cocaine is confiscated, and we have rough estimations about how much is consumed um, with several studies that are being done in many places. So, actually, this number, when they were declaring that they were winning the war and they were kind of going, you know, that they were declining the production, they started to see that this cannot be possible because 600s are being sized and the 200 left are not enough to... So they actually started to see that the coca was producing much more cocaine than 10 years ago. They had to actually correct the calculations right, to the new conversion factor. So what we have now is with less coca, we make much more cocaine. But in any case, what we can see is that indeed uh, there have been transformations in the processes of production uh, and the conversion factors. So... Still, cocaine being produced. Basically, um, well, I mean, the issue of cocaine routes is a kind of mythology. I mean, uh, police love to re- always give us these maps with the new routes and with this new. This <coughs> In fact, all these routes existed already for for fifty years. I mean, there's no one route. The only route I could think as a new something is this one, um, leaving Brazil, going through here, through this. And then Turkey becoming a very important actor at the moment in European in Europe. I mean, I would say it's a new trend: is the involvement of East Europeans, South Europeans, East Europeans in the trade from this side. But all the others, the Caribbean and the direct uh, through the islands here, um, and of course, since ten years we have this activation of the uh, uh, the African the African line, which now declined again. Um, very much connected actually with the UK Uh, not very much connected for example with the Netherlands I will come back to that later but basically important to see also here is that um, there is a diversification of Atlantic routes done in the 90s let's say so in the 90s it was much uh, um, direct and I saw it also myself that you had a lot of Colombians doing it and now there's much more other groups international groups uh, invest in the business. And I will come to that, but one of the, co- the core messages is that the business is now much more international than 10, 15 years ago. Okay. There are different actors in different styles in different countries. Usually, we can talk about small and independent groups or networks. Personally, I don't see the cartels. I mean, the idea of the cartel is uh, a group that can Actually, put prices and put uh, levels of production, and none of these two things are done by any group in Latin America. So the cartel word is a metaphor, but it's not. They are not working as cartels. They are really usually very small. Even the organizations, the the, 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 the Mexican organizations or the Colombian organizations of like Pablo Escobar, usually they are very small. They have a lot of subcontracting people but they do not really have a kind of 200 people belonging to these uh, uh, certain Colombian organizations. Of course, some have some territorial control, so we can talk about, us think about Mexico and, and favelas, etc. There is a lot of discussion about what is actually the role of these armed actors if they are themselves producing or are they of, of, if they are, in some cases, protecting or granting permits for these actors to do the business. Um, in many cases, and certainly at all levels, many of the actors that are only market-oriented do, do not have territorial control, they are protected by state or parastate structures in, and actors. In the case of uh, in Argentina now, it's, it's very interesting what is going on there in Rosario. I mean, that the police is totally organizing and The police is organizing the, the, the whole the whole the whole thing. They have a uh, special areas. They have a uh, so it's it's really interesting what is now going on. I mean, in Argentina, usually we hear about Mexico, about Brazil, but but Argentina is now um, interesting the collusion between power structures and and cocaine. You will not find uh, many full families in the business you, there are some there are some but usually family and kinship is more instrumental so people work of course with each other but usually what you have a lot is that half of the family is involved and the other half is not involved and they don't sometimes they don't even know that they are involved but sometimes it's not really a full a full family business usually you don't do business with people we have a saying in Spanish that it's better to do business with, not with your own brothers or sisters, but in uh, in, this is how many people told me also. I mean, he's my brother, but he's, yeah, I have to work with him, but he's not good for the business, and I prefer to work with people that are good for doing business. But for trust and for secrecy is important. Cocaine is very democratic in the sense of many people from different backgrounds can enter the business. It offers a place for either from peasants to uh, rich entrepreneurs. So, I saw a lot of heterogeneous social origins, and if I have to give two, two important co- characteristics of the business, it's competitivity, competitivity and flexibility. Very competitive <laughs> and very flexible. Drug traffickers cooperate with each other. So, they compete and they cooperate. And this is actually very interesting. They... Sometimes they work together, sometimes they kill each other. The seven of the Cali Cartel, for example, where some operations might do together, but then they will kill each other. So these actually networks often work even by operation. So there are coalitions made for one particular operation. Um, You have, for example, also the system of Apuntada. I don't know if you have heard about this, in which the Apuntada is a pool in which if you have a line as, a, as a, a trafficker, and it's a very important, good line, you actually ask people to join your line. So when they find 5,000 or 10,000 kilos, it's not that these are from one entrepreneur. They are different entrepreneurs, that's why they use the logos um, to pull together. Right? So, and the guy that has the line uh, uh, gets a commission uh, for, for, for the others. And if the line is very, very good, you can even insure the line. So there are insurance systems in which, if the guy loses the cocaine, gets the money back, but if it drowns, then you get 30%, 40%. So very, very high primes, let's say. Uh, they also have savage competition. They kill each other, they betray each other. Um, it's a kind of demand-driven. Although they have some active marketing strategies, that's demand-driven. There is a lot of technological innovation. There's now a guy I met last week in Edinburgh doing his, his PhD on submarines, on this, uh, the, the, the development of new technologies, although the, he said that these are submarines which are very, um, very precarious. It's like they are, they are not really high technological stuff. I mean, they, they cannot really go down. They, they just go like... Uh, but basically, all the line between Peru uh, and Colombia and Mexico... There is a lot of these kind of 30 meter up to 30 meter submarines that you just see a little bit like that on the water. So no radars detected, and you go with a lot of um okay. He's doing his PhD on in in a in a technological uh, department on, on technology. Very interesting. Little vertical integration, so it's kind of sand glass, arm length re- transactions, so Again, it's very few steps. <coughs> it's means one step and then another step and then another step. It's not that you control the whole line. No stable organizations but changing coalitions. Often per project, no managers or bureaucrats. So the business has a kind of dual tendency. On the one hand, professionalization. <coughs> On the other hand, unskilled, mass-replaceable workers, they are being... Replaced, cheated, killed, in prison. These are the people that actually you know, get the criminal justice system. So these are unskilled, massive workers. They do not have any kind of promotion or, or or expectations in the business. So I found kind of three roles in the business. Usually you have the bosses, the entrepreneurs, the patrones. You have these brokers, very important uh, person that is usually not seen in this criminal organization, way of thinking. But the broker is a guy that just put people in touch and gets a commission for that. And there is a lot of drug traffickers that do that work. It's less risky, less money to earn, but a lot. So just intermediate people that put together different networks. And then you have the toleros, people that do the todo. O sea, eh, all the jobs, basically, unskilled jobs. I, could, I, I think we can think about the post-40s just-in-time enterprises. No, no stocks. So cocaine... There are no stocks of cocaine waiting to be sold. <coughs> you, before being sold... So when you sell it, then you buy it. So it goes maybe one day in a, in a, in a flat, but not more. So cocaine is always moving. It's always moving. You never had cocaine to sell in turn, in, at, the, at the level of bulk. So, in that sense, it's a very post-forwardist way of organizing a business. Paradoxal use of secrecy, by and trust. There's no cocaine trafficking, illegal cocaine trafficking, without the direct and active involvement of legal actors. So, we always think about the, <coughs> the bad guys, the traffickers, but these people here, this is a list I made from my own research. So, these people, I always found directly involved in the business, they actually, you can also claim that a lot of the money stays in the hands of these people. Including, for example, uh, bar, bartender, bar and restaurant owners that actually get a lot of money by these people just asking for a, a, a whiskey of 500 euro. No you know, a bottle. I, I've been sitting there and I'm thinking how much money these people are earning, this bar, this bar with this night, with these five people spending so much money in one night. You know, this is money that goes from the drug business directly to the legal economy without any money laundering or whatever. So if, you're going to un- if you want to understand this uh, business, I think you have to focus on, on these legal actors. Spain is still the most important place to enter cocaine in Europe. So 40, 50% of the mm, cocaine enters through Europe. Holland used to be 25, but now declined. We are now in 14, 15, 20%. Belgium, Portugal, very strong. UK receiving usually cocaine shipped by first through the European Union or from Africa and the Caribbean. One thing I see as a trend, is internationalization. Uh, Eastern European countries, I said that, great diversity in prices and purity, and also sustained availability. We have, even, again, with all the efforts they put in airports, in ports, etc, the availability goes through. The, the interception rate, I estimate, again, these estimations are kind of magic numbers, but the, the point of you can think that it's not 10% that they are confiscating. In total, it's more than 50% of more than 50% of what they produce is being confiscated. And then um, in Europe, you can think that one third is being confiscated. So basically, we have like around 80, and 180 tons per year coming into Europe. 60 per year are being sized. and the cocaine consumption in European uh, per year is 120 tons, rather stable table a little bit increased maybe, but still there. Okay, look at this table, explains why big money is not producing cocaine, is not exporting cocaine, but is importing cocaine. So if you are able to buy in Colombia for 2000 and sell the same kilo in Rotterdam for 30,000, so if you are able to make this mark, then you, is when you are really becoming a millionaire. And this is why anyone carrying one kilo of cocaine is not the owner of that cocaine. Because you can always pay five to ten even thousand per kilo to somebody to get the risk to do it, if you're going to go from here to here. So, in fact, this is unless this prices changes, there's no way of winning the war against drugs unless they confiscate like 95%. But in, even in the scenario of 60%, they still are not able to make, they are not making uh, uh, thinning prices, and the Colombians tell, listen, cocaine is very cheap. We, we lose it, we phone. there's another kilo coming. So in fact, more confiscation, you can even think that it dynamizes, it, it makes the production more dynamic. So more production if more confiscation takes place, because still this is unbeatable. It's very difficult to beat that. Fragmentation, very important. Geographical displacement and dispersion. This is also something that we are seeing in the last years. So countries like Brazil, Venezuela, <coughs> Ecuador, Mexico, the Caribbean, Central America, becoming very important uh, transit and export in new groups. Still Mexico not connected with Europe, although two years ago there was a kind of big uh, thing in the media there are some Mexicans now and then, but still, Mexico is not uh, connected. I mean, the, the cocaine coming to, to Europe still is coming me- massively from South America, Caribbean, and Central America. So Panama, Costa Rica, uh, and this, these countries, yes, but not yet from Mexico. Diversification of route, more methods, more channels, and more groups involved. In the business now than 15 years ago. Um, maybe on that note, we're going to wind it up. Uh, just say
0: so thank you to Damien.